Welcome to this week's Escape from Plan A. Uh, it's just me today. Um, everyone's busy. Chris is in Korea. Jong is over at a dra- Dragon Combat Club uh, training session. I should announce actually what we're doing with the Patreon funds. I think that might be a good time. It might be a good time to do that. We're funding a short film by the director Dan Chen, who's going to be following um, Henry Z of and and the Dragon Combat Club here in New York City. Uh, they were on the podcast a few episodes ago. I, I forgot which number. I'll look it up. Uh, but uh, we thought that that was a great use of the funds because, you know, instead of like trying to like pepper it around and spread it around, and you know, we were we were trying to entice people to come write for the magazine. We found it exceedingly hard to actually get people to commit and write. I think it's just a real, it's just really difficult for people to sit down and commit to you know completing. Um, an article or an essay, even if you put, I think, market rates in front of them, which is what we were paying. And we felt, you know, instead of us trying so hard to um, induce people to do things, like let's, uh, you know, let's find a project that, you know, the person is like motivated themselves and excited to do it themselves. And it just happened that um, we had thought about this kind of project, the short film project with someone like Dan and without even uh, talking to him about it, he had separately reached out and asked us if we would be interested in helping with, with such a project. And so it just seemed to me and, and the rest of us that that immediately was the right idea. Um, and to, you know, instead of trying to chip away at this thing, one article at a time, you know, let's, you know, let's just go all in and, and produce something that, you know, we'd be interested in being a part of, um, really not for any, you know, commercial um, investment opportunity or anything like that. It was really about uh, original mission statement, which is to give people with a passion uh, for their craft, Asian American people, creators, um, to give them the tools or the resources, whatever they needed, the support to do what they do. So that's that's what we're going to be doing. And I think the filming is going to start end of this month. And so, um, you know, hopefully we'll have Dan on to talk about that. Okay. Anyway, uh, yeah, so it's just me. I haven't done one of these in a while. It's a little awkward. Not a big fan of the monologue format, but whatever. Let's give this a shot. I even have my headphones on. I'm not sure why I have that on. Okay. So uh, the thing I want to talk about is the FTX. Not so much like the specifics of what happened over at FTX. I don't really care. I'm not particularly... Um, interested in the crypto world that that's starting to change a little bit. I'm starting to have a, a bit of interest in in blockchain and Bitcoin now that everything's gone to shit. But there was something just incredibly revealing about FTX, the way it had connected itself into mainstream politics. Uh, as you probably have read. Uh, Sam Bankman for SBF, just to keep it short, I guess, SBF, as everyone's calling him, uh, was the second largest donor to the Democratic Party for the midterm, uh, for the midterms behind only George Soros, who's a very, cuts a very similar profile in this respect. And I'll explain later later what I mean by that. But um, let's just, let's just start with an audio clip. This is from, I think a few months, like earlier in the year, FTX and SBF, himself had organized a crypto conference called Crypto Bahamas, where he gave a keynote interview 
His own employee interviewed him. I'll play the audio. I think it'll speak for itself. Um, I'm Lauren Remington Platt, and I'm the head of Global Luxury Partnerships at FTX. And thank you all for joining us. Um, today, we're going to be discussing Giselle and Sam's shared mission of philanthropy, which is the theme of our spring-summer 2022 luxury campaign. Not only was this campaign going to mark Sam's modeling debut with Giselle, it wasn't going to be about crypto. <laughs> It was going to be a celebration of Giselle and Sam's shared passion for making the world a better place, which has been a driving force in both of their careers. For Sam, his commitment to become an earned to giver 10 years ago was a precedent for founding FTX and his ability to maximize his financial impact for good. The FTX Foundation's recent announcement to give up to $1 billion this year alone to high-impact charities show how Sam is transforming corporate governance and becoming the modern-day CEO that FTX embodies and that the world needs. Okay, so... You know, I think it's kind of parody at this point to listen to that, given all that we know that FTX was basically uh, a large scale criminal conspiracy. Um, you know, I'm not a reporter, so I don't have to I don't I, I can I can speculate here. But it seems like he was knowingly breaking the law um, in order to in order to further enrich himself and his uh, polycule um, down there in the Bahamas, gifting each other 30 million dollar mansions on the beach or whatever. Meanwhile, doing conferences with people like Bill Clinton, Giselle Bundchen, Tony Blair, all these uh, celebrities, and very publicly and shamelessly stating that um, they, were all, they were doing this for all of our benefit, for the good of the world. And, you know, it's easy now, especially in the press, that they're just trying to hone in on what a piece of shit this guy was, you know, what an asshole he was. And I think that's besides the point, because I think that the more important part is that SBF, I think, is the culmination of, uh, of a trend that's happening uh, in America, I would say across the Western world. And let's kind of break it down this way, right? Okay. Uh, it used to be that capitalism, I know this is, we're going to, this is what happens when I when I just monologue. I'll, I'll go all the way back to the capitalism or whatever. But capitalism, in my, I think one way to describe it is it's a system where we as a, let's say, a single nation state, a society, kind of agree and acquiesce to the idea that there's going to be gross inequality of wealth. We agree to it because the premise is that those who are holding the... Uh, the lion's share of social wealth are doing so because they're the ones that are best able to use that wealth to create even more wealth for everyone's benefit. And so it didn't matter that capitalists were good. They were, they've long been seen as robber barons. They've long been seen as corrupt and greedy. And we've known this. I mean, it's nothing new uh, to hate the industrialists, but we always acquiesce to this notion that, they sh that we still should have them around because at the end of the day, as distasteful as it is uh, to engage in, 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 in capitalist production and all the exploitation and corruption that goes along with that, at the end of the day, they showed results. They produced the wealth. They produced the profits. They created products that people wanted to buy. They improved people's lives on the margins. 
and we acquiesced to the system of gross inequality because it was seen as necessary to accumulate capital in the hands of those most able to use it in a productive manner, right? And I think what FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried Sam Bankman represent has been a long time coming. I think it's the culmination of a trend, which is to get away from the idea that these capitalists are productive and therefore they have, they've proven their, uh, the, the, they have proven that they are worthy of being entrusted with that level of social wealth. They've replaced that with a different contract, slowly but surely, and I think in an oppressive manner which is that they're entitled to this wealth because they're just better. They're just morally superior. And everything, I mean, you can go, I'll link the video to that Bahamas crypto conference, Crypto Bahamas. You can listen to his spiel. You can listen to Giselle's spiel. But it's the same thing. It's the same celebrity studded, highly pressured. And you saw that you heard the, the sort of awkward applause. I mean, nobody really believes in this shit, right? Nobody really feels it. But there's such an intense amount of social pressure uh, to acquiesce to this, to say, you know what? Who am I to challenge um, a billionaire on stage lecturing us about what being a good global citizen is? Because I'm just this little person with my little, you know, um, with, with my little means and my little economic life here, I'm pulling wages. I can barely get anything done. This guy with billions, who am I to say to him what it means to be a good global citizen? So we kind of stay out of their way more than champion them. Um, and I think it wasn't, you know, I think FTX kind of was jumping the shark here. But I think if you look at the way ESG, which is the um, sort of like, the BlackRock version of like woke investing. If you look at the way corporate corporations have availed themselves of woke imagery, if you look at the way advertising, you know, we have oil companies and consulting companies and these just giant non-retail type, well, I guess they're kind of retail, but companies that otherwise wouldn't have to advertise to sell their wares, advertising anyway, just to show that they're good people. And it's it's a thing that we've seen more and more is like they're you know these banks are good they care these oil companies are good they care, um, and now we get to the point where it's just straight up corporate it's 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 just straight up organized crime, uh, but it's done in a corporate form down in the Bahamas that is advertising in the Super Bowl. And if you look, you know, at if you look, there's a, there's this there's this uh, a I don't know how to describe it an ideology um, called effective altruism. Effective altruism. Altruism. You know what that means? We are altruistic people. Our goal is to give to others. Effective meaning, unlike you, unlike the regular people, we're actually effective at it. Because we've been, we've earned, or we've somehow t gotten this wealth, and our altruism is the justification for us to keep this wealth. And uh, it's, I think, the necessary next step for capitalism in America, because we are facing, I think, despite the hype, 
um, despite the relentless techtopia talk that coming out of Silicon Valley that, oh, you know, um, an AI future is just around the corner. Self-driving cars are just around the corner. You know, commercial space flights are just around the corner. Uh, getting from LA to New York uh, in under two hours by, you know, fucking whatever uh, tubular train is just around the corner. Despite all these things, these promises that never seem to come true, um, despite all that, I think there's, they, 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 there still was this need. There still was this need to dangle the idea of innovation, the promise of innovation, the promise of um, growth, um, ahead of us for us to acquiesce to the fact that we were producing, we, we were turning basically punks into some of the richest people to ever live. Um, and the ability for them to actually deliver on that is limited now. I think that we've pushed the envelope in terms of really what we're capable of or what they're capable of given all that wealth and the only thing that they can think to do, it's as Gordon Gecko said, it's real estate and stock speculation. It's fucking bullshit. It's driving, a, you know, real estate, at least real estate and stock are real, right? Like they, real estate exists. Stock is a claim on an existing profitable enterprise, so hopefully profitable enterprise, but it is a, it is a claim on an, an actually existing company. But crypto is nothing. It doesn't, it's a claim on nothing. And I think that, it's no wonder that the second crypto took off as the next big promise of what? I have no idea. Of, you know, for who? I have no idea. For what purpose? Nobody knows. But the point is that it's tied to nothing. There was nothing keeping crypto tied to any base reality. It could become whatever the fuck you wanted it to become. And I think it was perfect that it was the crypto world that produced probably one of the most brazen frauds of all time. And I think it's really interesting because SBF himself seems to be fully aware of this. And now that he's been sort of excommunicated uh, from the sort of inner sanctum of, of virtuous power, he's just calling it out on Twitter DMs. And so someone posted this uh, DM with SBF, uh, I think, yesterday. So they asked him, so this ethics stuff is mostly a front. People will like you if you win and hate you if you lose. And that's how it all really works. His response, yeah, I mean, not all of it, but it's a lot. The worst quadrant is I'm sketchy and I lose. The best is I win plus whatever. Clean and lose is bad, but not terrible. They ask, you are really good at talking about ethics for someone who saw, who kind of saw it all as a game with winners and losers. And he responds, yeah, <laughs> I had to be. It's what reputations are made of to some extent. I feel bad for those who get fucked by it, by this dumb game we woke Westerners play where we say all the right shibboleths and so everyone likes us. Now, the self-awareness here, I think, is really quite amazing because I think that at least when it comes to, say, bankers, they're still dealing with real money. They're still dealing with real financial assets that supposedly, and in reality do, have a connection to material economic realities. Even the mortgage-backed securities of the great financial crisis were tied to people living in houses, making house payments, living actual real lives in real homes, 
paying their mortgages off with real money. And so, you know, they could cook up all these schemes and they could create all these, uh, create and recreate and repack all these RMBS deals and CDO and CDO squared and synthetic CDOs and all that stuff. They could do whatever they wanted, but ultimately they couldn't achieve full orbit. They couldn't achieve full liftoff and they were brought back to the ground. And I think that that makes bankers somewhat unaware of this aspect of themselves. And it makes, I think, real business people who engage in some level of like real economic activity tend to be a little bit less self-aware or less capable of this self-awareness that it's all bullshit because there is an element to what they're doing that's real. And I think they, they can hold on to that very strongly. Whereas with SBF, I think he realized he was smart enough a kid to understand that this is all bullshit. It's, beyond, it's worse than uh, real estate and stock speculation of the Gordon Gecko era. This is pure bullshit. It's pure nothing. You're trading numbers. You're just trading numbers, you know, pulled out of the ether, right? Literally. And so I think he couldn't even convince himself at any point that he was engaging in a real business. And he couldn't really live with this idea that he had to go out and do this performance with people. Well, maybe he could. I don't know. But, I mean, he knew. He had that cognitive distance in him because I think the basis of his business was so profoundly bullshit and so profoundly corrupt that at this point, now that he's, like, been excommunicated, he's not even bothering to try and, you know, actually – he's not even bothering to pretend to be who he claimed he was. And I think that's catching a lot of people off guard. And, uh, you know, I, I just point this out because this is, a, this is a thing that I've been noticing, like, a lot in, in life. Like, like, I, like, again, like, I don't really care about FTX as a story. Uh, you know, it's not, I'm not talking about FTX because I find this particular, you know, corporate scandal, uh, you know, super uh, compelling or anything. It's just more that it perfectly exemplifies and helps me articulate um, a general sense of unease that I have about living in America these days, which is that there is this strong and, you know, again, like maybe we haven't done this in the past couple episodes, but I do want to tie this to being uh, an Asian person in America like what is this why are we saying why are we even talking about this on an Asian American pod Um, I'll try to yeah I'll try to circle I'll try to complete that circle in this pod Um, but there is a for me anyway a strong sense of this sort of like virtuous oppression that there is a strong feeling that people need to conform not because, not just because their livelihoods depend on it, but because their very like social reputation depends on it. Like whether they're seen as good people depends on it. And I have many friends who will allow some of these concerns to get in the way of our friendship where we can no longer talk to each other in real terms, but we have to observe some of the core tenets of like this woke culture around us we can't talk real about it because it's and it's almost like there is um an outside observer uh that sort of sets boundaries for what i can talk about with people in private 
And I know that a lot of them don't really buy into this bullshit. They're just feel the pressure that even in private, they, they have to convince themselves to commit to it. And I think it has to do, and I'm wondering where this came from, because honestly, it didn't used to be like this. I think the I think when and I do think a lot of this stuff comes from economic materialism, right? Like it comes out of like how our material lives are like how do we win our material lives? Like how do we provide for ourselves? Because at bottom that's what it's all about still, right? And I think there's a sense that if we don't culturally assimilate at the deepest levels to what is clearly, I think, a corrupt and bullshit culture as SBF, who was one of its main proponents and backers. Again, he was the number two backer of the Democratic Party during the midterms behind only Soros, who's a very similar figure with his open society stuff. There is an incredibly strong pressure to culturally assimilate into this system of bullshit ethics, it's not a, it's not in any way a coherent set of ethics. It's not like you can really understand where these ethics are coming from. It's made up and it's self-contradictory. It's not a coherent system. It doesn't make much sense, but it does articulate its beliefs clearly. I don't want to get into it because I don't, I don't really feel the need to dissect it. It's not worth dissecting. But I think everyone, I think you should kind of know what I'm talking about when I say woke culture. Uh. My problem with it is that the people who we are starting to learn that the people who benefit from it most seem to be engaged in willful fraud. They 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 are they are doing this with intentionality. And I think for me it it was kind of mysterious as to why they were doing I know it was in their self-interest, but how exactly it was in their self-interest I couldn't fully grasp and this 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 FTX th- scandal is is making me understand a bit it's that they 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 are trying to deflect attention away from the plain fact that they have no reason to be so powerful and rich whatsoever and that it is in fact social wealth that they've appropriated it is not wealth that they created with their own hard work. It's wealth that they stole. It's wealth that their friends gave to them. It's friends that they tricked people into giving them. It's funds. It's wealth that they said you weren't giving to them. You're only entrusting to them through custody, which is what FTX promised. Meanwhile, he's literally shoveling billions of customer billions of dollars worth of customer assets over to his polycule girlfriend so that she could make her margin calls because she was so bad at investing. That's the level of fucking corruption we're talking about. It's crazy. And yet these people are on stage articulating the ethical culture of for all of us and, and actually saying that the, this is the future of the world, that a better world awaits us if only we just let these people be richer and more powerful, because why? They've always had a passion for making the world a better place. I mean, how do you even get into Stanford with that? I with putting that on your college application essay. That's the worst. That's the most pathetic 
high school level cliche ever. And yet they, they've, they've put that out as their guiding principle on why they should be the richest people to ever live. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I think it is true. It is definitely in my, in my experience as someone who grew up largely in the 80s and 90s, you know, 80s and 90s was very different. Like liberal left culture was a lot less morally committed. It was a lot more about, it, was a, it had a libertarian bent. It was a lot about just let me do what I want to do. When it, you know, when it comes to, you know, uh, basic fundamental rules, there are some that I'll abide by, but otherwise leave me the fuck alone and let me live my life the way I want to live. That was the ethic, I think, in the 80s, 90s. You saw it expressed in the sort of defiant tone of hip hop and punk rock. And that started to change only very recently, I feel. Um, I felt it I felt its power. I felt it starting to creep up around the time of Obama, and then it really came into full force uh, during Trump. And I think it forced the left, these these I, especially the Trump loss, I think it forced the left to reformulate its thesis for power. Like it forced them to reformulate the basis upon which we should grant them ruling power. And the basis that they came up with is we're just inherently better people. And that actually seemed to have worked if the midterm elections are any indication is that they were able to capitalize on just the sheer nastiness and rudeness of Trump to say, at least we're not him. At least we have some level of decorum. And then it became, uh, I mean, this is simplifi- This is sim- way simplifying it, but I think maybe that's just like one way to describe what happened. But I do think that it is very much the case that back then we at least did have a sense that our lives were, if not necessarily improving in terms of like, you know, wages and net worth and wealth, though it probably was uh, for people that own housing or whatever. Uh, but I know wages were stagnant. It did feel that, 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 you know, we were getting, we were seeing such leaps and bounds in improvement in both technology uh, and like live like just the way technology technological improvements would enhance our living standards that we were like fundamentally future oriented people and I think I guess th- there we've had several pods where I've been trying to I've really been thinking about that a lot is this profound shift away from the future like this idea of thinking about the future being better than the past or the present and that this is somehow like embedded into some tacit not express, but like tacit social contract that we have with the people that we work for and who rule our lives. And that's changed now. Like our relationship with power has changed where, and I, and I think people might feel, I felt it at, you know, at work. I felt it and I feel it in political life and I feel it now in my personal life in the way I talk to my friends, which is kind of the last straw for me, which is this idea that like, 
there is the, the ruling, the people who rule your life also set up the ethical and moral standards that you have to live up to, right? Almost the way like, it's almost a paternalistic or, or maternalistic, however you want to put it, power in your life that they're actually describing to you what you wish you should be on the inside rather than to be like, no, fuck you. You shouldn't have power over me, but you know, you promised me these things and that things and there's a social contract and I'm going to be a part of it. And so I'll play nice. I don't like you, but I'll play nice. And that was an era, you know, that Gordon Gecko era was an era where we understood distinctly that these were shit people. They were not good people. They were evil people, but they were effective people. And so we put up with it. And I think now we're starting to see that they're not really that effective. And I mean, as a class, right? It's not just FTX, but look around, look at, look at all these layoffs that are happening in tech. Look at all of these unicorns that don't really make money. Look how much capital we've given to people who cannot generate self-sustaining businesses, uh, the Adam Newmans of the world. And we could see like we've, we've hit like some limit here where concentrating more wealth into the hands of fewer and fewer individuals is not producing the results that we want. And the funny thing about this, I think, is, and I noticed this, this as um, kind of a weird counterpoint to this, is that one pro- potential exception to this is Elon Musk. I'm no Elon Musk stan. I'm not a fan of Tesla. I'm not a fan of him. But he is an industrialist in the old sense, meaning like, yes, he's the world's richest man, but what does he do with that wealth, really? He puts it into building real cars and rockets and satellites that work. Like Starlink works. He deployed that shit to Ukraine. It works. Teslas, I don't like them. I think they're shit. But I've driven one. They're, they work as advertised. They are as unique as described in the press. They are as unique as described uh, by, the, by, by its touters. And we've seen SpaceX rockets do their thing. They do come back to Earth and fucking land on the launch pad that they came from. He's an old school industrialist in that I don't think he gives a shit what people think about him. Clearly, I mean, he's he's happy making himself public enemy number one on his own social media platform. I mean, but, but the thing is, like, he's an old industrialist. He knows that the justification for his power and wealth is for him to produce more cars and better cars is to produce more rockets and better rockets. It's produce more satellites and better satellites and whatever the fuck else he's doing, right? I think Elon Musk is still the old school model of a capitalist or industrialist, which is we as a society largely detest him personally. I know he has his stands, but he doesn't cut a, a very nice figure, does he? And he's not woke. He doesn't give a shit. He just wants his companies to run. And we're fine with that largely because he delivers. I don't really like the Teslas. I don't really care about SpaceX, whatever. But I can't deny that these things actually exist. They're real. But there's this whole other... But I think he's the exception now. And I think more and more, you know, Elon's gobbling up every last available route forward to an old-fashioned material industrialist. And meanwhile, everyone else is just engaging in fucking wire fraud or whatever the hell's going on. 
they're engaging in mass embezzlement, which is a, which is a, the real way of describing what was going on down there in the Bahamas. And those tend to be the people who put on the strongest appearance of being woke and virtuous and having a passion for, I can't say this without wanting to fucking throw up, but making the world a better place. It's the people who have something to hide. It's the people, and you know, there, there's interviews with SBF where you see him shaking. There's one where he meets, he's on Meet the Press, and he's like visibly shaking. And I think, you know, the, the cognitive dissonance was probably getting to him, where it felt maybe a little bit too much like, it felt it was hard to put on this act anymore. Uh, which is why, you know, some people are much more skilled at this than others. And they have twisted minds, and I guess they have twisted ways of convincing themselves that they're still on... Uh, you know, they're still in the good graces of God or or whatever. But I've noted, but I think the reason I'm pointing this out is not just to be, um, not just to, to to create some to luxuriate in in hating the elite or whatever, but just as like a regular. And maybe this is where I try to circle it back to being Asian. Is like, you know, the thing that we talk a lot of, talked a lot about throughout these past 400 plus episodes as a group of Asian people in and about America, including Canada, um, is, is this, this idea of cultural assimilation, right? It's this idea that, fundamentally speaking, it is hard to deny that we come ultimately from, not that long ago, one generation ago perhaps, that we, maybe less, we come from a different part of the world with a different set of values, way of doing things, a different a different social contract and then we came to America and as much as some of us may want to hold on to that or or not there is uh, an overriding and I think understandable pressure to assimilate into the host culture and 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 be a part of the reality that surrounds us in physical space and no longer you know just abandon not abandoned but Acknowledge the reality, let's say, okay? And I've always felt, especially as of late, and I question this a lot less when I was younger, but especially as, I, as of late, I, I felt like instinctively, okay, there's something wrong here. And it's because there's something wrong with the host culture. It's not about the idea and purpose of assimilation that bothers me. It's what we're actually assimilating into. And I think, I used to think maybe it's just age, and maybe there's still a component of this that's age, where as I get older, I'm more willing to capitulate. I'm more willing to see the writing on the wall about things, right? But now I'm starting to see there is another side to this, and I do have to give it due credit, which is that there is something wrong with the culture. It is going wrong in a certain way. Because before, I would say that the ideal of America, at least the, real, the reality is a different story, but at least the ideal, the way that all of us were oriented in our minds and, and, and thus in the culture it still had this sense of America as a land of opportunity, a meritocracy, a no bullshit kind of place. It didn't matter where you came from. Doesn't matter the color of your skin. All you know, you know what I'm saying. Everyone knows this. The platitude, right? But there was a reality behind it. You could work your way up. Education was an on ramp into social mobility upwards, um, and. There was, therefore, as distasteful as some of us may find cultural assimilation and reformatting your identity to fit the host culture, at least there was a bargain struck in that process to say, okay, 
even if it's distasteful, and I always found it distasteful to an extent, even when I was young, at least there is a bargain being made here. I'm going to get something out of this because all I got to do is work hard in this country. All I got to show is my worth, my value to whatever project it is that we've embarked on to progress our society forward in whichever direction the tea leaves of profit tell us to go, right? I don't necessarily know if I believe in all this stuff, but it's kind of beyond my pay grade. I'll just assume it's true. Let's do this thing, right? And then now I'm starting to see, you know, how how do you commit yourself like that? How do you strike that bargain when there's just so much open, there's just so much abandonment of that ideal altogether? And the the reason to assimilate now is not because you've assessed your personal interest, you've assessed the interests of you, your family, your community, those around you, and your own well-being above all. You've assessed that and you've said, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to play by the rules. I'm going to try hard. I'm going to assimilate. I'm going to, I'm going to work towards whatever common goal I'm told is the common goal because I have faith it's the right thing for me, right? It's changed now. To be like, no, it's got to go deeper than that. You got to really feel it. You got to really believe it. It's like, this is an assimilation, folks. This is conversion. You've, you now assimilate not because you're striking a bargain and you're going to get anything out of it. You do it because it's right. You do it because this culture of ours wants to make the world a better place. And you better believe in the project of America is all about, it's all, the elites are there guiding us along There's these moral pathways these moral rails to deliver us into what i don't even know all i know is that if you don't do it kind of a problem right now and the culture is starting to veer to feel very stultifying it's starting to feel very preachy there's a lot of pressure and i can't really imagine being a younger person because right now because Younger people don't quite have developed necessarily the defenses that is that are that is needed um, to 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 sort of resist that kind of pressure. Uh, and that you know, I don't know if um, maybe maybe parents might understand this better because you're kind of starting over from the beginning with a new with a new person. And, but I, I kind of feel this when I'm around children is like, you know, the real magic of uh, the real thing that a ch you want a child to learn is to watch out after itself, is to protect itself, right? And uh, it seems like that's not necessarily hardwired into everyone is to be their own best advocate. You know, a lot of us, there's a mode, there's a part of us that, you know, with enough pressure, um, we just become followers, Right, we capitulate, we surrender, we uh, surrender our autonomy and even our minds to other people, because we decide it's better to just outsource all that stuff to someone else. Um, because if I don't do that, uh, there's just too much. There's just too much pressure coming at me. I'm facing too much social pressure, peer pressure, all this stuff. So I'm going to capitulate, and I'm just going to I'm just going to join the masses, and I'm going to brainwash myself into thinking that I am one of them. And, um, you know, that, that is happening in, in mass in, in America right now. 
is I hate to say it, but I mean just 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 look at FTX. Look at and this you're talking about a company that had a stranglehold uh, at the very highest levels of the Democratic Party of of our, of our government, and it had a stranglehold on the top celebrity names uh, that we're all familiar with. The whole crypto industry was fucking taken over. Naming rights to stadiums. We had Matt Damon talking about Fortune Favors the Brave. Stephen Curry. Steph Curry got sued. Tom Brady's getting sued. Larry David, the guy behind Seinfeld, is getting sued for pumping this FTX bullshit. It, it, this, this mentality of... What do they call it? Effective altruism? Of just virtue... Of just virtue... Wealth... Virtue being the justification for wealth and power? This weird fundamental field equation that they've created for their kind is total batshit insanity. And... um I guess uh, I don't have much more to say. I'll keep this one short. But because I think uh, I still have more thinking to do about this. But I do want to put this, I did want to put this pod out instead of just skipping this week, even though all my friends are busy, don't have time to play with me on this podcast this week. Because it is something I'm thinking about a lot is as an Asian person in America, this does force me to reconsider my willingness to give up the values that I was raised with, which are a mix of American and a mix of Chinese, but it, it is the heritage of my own family. It's the teaching that I got from my parents and and how I learned as a child from my family, not just my parents, my friends who grew up at a time and a place in which they were learning from their families in a very similar manner, not necessarily Chinese or Asian, but a lot were Chinese and Asian. These things that I was growing up with, you know, I think it's too early even now. Or I think it would, let's put it, I think it would be a mistake for me to have, it would have been a mistake for me to have abandoned those things and capitulated into this mass liberal woke culture that has become pervasive in America. And I'm not anti-woke. I'm not saying that the things that they're virtue signaling about are necessarily wrong. I'm saying they don't actually believe any of it. And so it's not the values that I'm against. It's not what they're saying that I'm against. It's the reasons they're saying it and the people who are saying it. That's what I'm against. That's where that's what I'm suspicious of, right? The things that they're saying about racial equity, about gender and sexuality, and all these things, I don't really find, um, I, it's not really something that I like deeply care about, to be honest. I'm not really, I don't find a lot of emotional investment in, let's say, trans issues. Frankly, because they don't really affect that many people I know around me or myself, right? And I think that that could be a very dangerous thing to say in this environment, but I'm going to say it anyway, which is I mostly care about the things that actually affect me. I mostly care about the things that I'm confronted with. And the the ethical system that I can 
d- induce out of that is that I will I want to respect as much as I can the right and and even the ex- and have the expectation that good people other people around me that's what they do too that's what they should be doing right and so when it comes to things like race gender sexuality all these things um i want to advocate for my position as an asian man in america and i have to respect and understand the similarity in that struggle or effort that let's say a black man in america would or a trans woman would in america i respect those things i think people uh you know the the adulthood i think is marked by um and and perhaps even like bravery is marked by people who will passionately loudly stubbornly advocate for themselves right my problem is the interference that comes from above when they get to pick and choose and privilege certain groups over others why because they want to put on this might be a contentious thing to say but i'll say it anyway the people who are committing the worst crimes out there the sam the sbfs of the world there's more there's a lot more those people the worse and more massive the scale of the crime they're committing the more they have to front and pose as saviors and saints not just saviors and saints to all of us but to maximize the effect to marginalize everyone that could challenge them which is the mass of everyone below them they have to act as the saints and saviors to the most supposedly wretched and downtrodden among us right and so if you listen to the rest of that interview and there's another one just look up effective altruism it's far from just these scamsters peter singer i think is a very he gave a ted talk about effective altruism and you know he was advocating for um you know a unicef model of effective altruism to say just because the you know starving children in africa or children dying of malaria in africa uh are separated from us by a lot of space and perhaps personal distance we don't really maybe feel uh, a close kinship with them that doesn't change he said and, and he's a serious philosopher that that doesn't change the moral equation as to we have the resources to help them and therefore by withholding help we are as guilty for their uh we are just as morally culpable um for their suffering right it's a serious argument i understand that but it is being employed as the post hoc rationalization for people for the elite and their crimes and so therefore they like to double down on being their moral concerns transcend us they don't care about us the middle class of america they don't care about a middle class or upper middle class asian man in america why should they and i'm not saying they should but clearly the well-being of a vast swath of america shouldn't matter we should think about some you know really some group of people that in our imagination they're just lives are just nothing but suffering and oppression and the farther away from us they are in terms of like our relatability to them the better 
because that will allow us to put ourselves into the shoes of these phony saints and saviors to be like, yes, I, I support this. I understand how pathetic and downtrodden these people are. And, and how could I say no to your beneficence? Uh, I'll get in line. I will get in line. In fact, you're getting in line with a fucking person who should be hit with RICO charges. Anyway, uh, I'm, 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 I, I hoped, I don't know. I think there, this, is, this FTX thing is the culmination, I think, of uh, something that Thomas Piketty said in his, was writing about in that book, Capital, that um, oddly isn't as talked about as much anymore. But he said that the origins of inequality in society come down to a very simple equation. It's, it's actually mind-bogglingly simple in his book. The, the equation is that R is greater than G. R is the rate of return on financial assets, and G is the rate of economic growth. If R exceeds G, if the return on equity, if the return on debt exceeds the growth of the underlying material economy, then wealth gets concentrated into the uh, capitalist class and drained from everyone else because they insist on maintaining the same rate of return on capital, even though the underlying economic conditions cannot support it. And the relevance that that has to something like uh, SBF and this FDX tale is that we are seeing R overshoot G by so much. We're seeing, I mean, this is like RT, R, uh, FTX was, was, was what, uh, how many fucking billions is it even? It's a it's a it's a synthetic number anyway. But let's say it was like ninety billion dollars or whatever the fuck it was, some crazy number like that, some like pull it out of a magician's ass kind of number, right? The reason that they could pump R that high over G without there being a complete social revolution, in my opinion, in my estimation, is all of this bullshit about wanting to make a world a better place. And the um, immense amount of media-based carpet bombing that they've engaged in to convince us or to bully us into going along with their bullshit, you know, quixotic journey to save the world. When all along, it wasn't even quixotic, it was just covering up their crimes. Uh, I'm hammering, I'm, I'm just, I'm just uh, I guess I'm kicking a dead horse here at this point. Um, another thing that I want to add is that a trap, I think, and, and I've seen Asian people go wrong. You know, we've talked a lot about the blue checks and all that stuff and how despicable I find them. And a lot of us find them. Why? Why do we complain about these people? I am starting to understand a little bit how that plays in too, which is that I see them as complicit with this class. I don't think they actually believe anything of the things they say. I think they've been bullied into it. It would be one thing if they earnestly believed it, and some do, and I think that there are those who I do trust. For example, who's a blue check that I trust? Jeannie Suckerson at Harvard, who I think has advanced, uh, for example, uh, some positive arguments for affirmative action. And I felt like even in our pod on affirmative action, we advanced some ideas that say, you know, it, it, there are merits to the idea. It's not uh, an evil system, right? I think it's not just being blue check. It's not just being credentialed that bothers me, right? That inherently doesn't bother me. And I'm very happy when someone that has great ideas 
is credentialed and that they have that heft behind ideas and the thinking and the rationality that they bring to the discourse. So I'm very thankful for the existence of someone like Jeannie, right? What I don't like is when there's clearly people who are no longer uh, committed to any sense of rational exploration or, or, or thinking about stuff and simply are navigating uh, politics and social pressure. And I find that very despicable because they'll lie to save their own skin. And, you know, the other thing that is sad, it's not realizing, maybe and this is helping me sort of get past this stage of just being angry at these people. I feel sorry for them because they're, these people are quixotic. These people are on the Don Quixote journey because they convince themselves that the way forward in, in, in this world that we live in is to live up to this bullshit culture, the bullshit, impossible standards of saintliness, sainthood that they put in front of us as cover for their crimes. They expect true believers like some of these blue checks to try and actually live up to it as if this was a coherent system, as if that was their ultimate goal, as if these people really mean what they say. And somehow, because of this, uh, you know, deep insight into the nature of the ethical universe, they've been, just been happened to made the pol be the political and, fi and uh, financial elite of the world. And so they've been led astray by these people, and they are on a life-wasting quixotic journey. I feel sorry for them. And here's why this happens. You never want to try and live up to these people. Um by actually doing the things that they themselves refuse to do. I mean, I think they can even say like, yeah, you know, the SBFs of the world are bullshit. They're liars. I'm the real thing. I'm doing the real work. I care. I actually care about this. These people, these liberals are just, you know, um, uh, saying the things that people want to hear, but I'm the real thing. And I think that infects a lot of the thinking on the left is that they want to be, you know, if they want to be even more like, it's even like, it's like the true believer of the left, whereas the liberals are like, you know, just phoning it in, right? And the problem with that is you will never win that fight. That's the thing. It's not whether it's right or wrong. It's you'll never win because this is determined entirely through media control. Um, the people who want to appear as the most virtuous as well so long as they're not caught in you know with like you know in the middle of a multi-billion dollar crime the way sbf was um they can always maintain this aura of moral superiority over everyone else despite all the shit that they do despite their hypocrisy despite just being widespread unpopular and unlikable like george soros is who's a you should look into his personal life. He's a real piece of shit. Um, they maintain that aura. Why? Because they control the media. Because they control the media narrative about themselves. They control what we are allowed to know about them. And so it is pointless to try and get into a virtue contest with liberals. Because they'll always win. Uh, again, I think that the right thing to do or the, the best way forward in America now is to get back and recommit to these ideas that 
uh, we got to be our own best advocates here. It is honestly like we don't really live in like a coherent uh, society anymore. It's a lot of infighting. A lot of different factions are pointing in totally opposite directions right now. It's a very confusing time. And I don't think picking the right faction is even uh, on the table anymore. I think that what you got to do is you've got to just be, you've just got to be able to think for yourself, prioritize. You know, I think instead of saying like, oh, this is what I believe. Oh, no, no, I'm this kind of person. Oh, no, you know, that group of people really represents the kind of person I want to be. You know, um, realize that it's not about flipping switches and taking, you know, a, you know, choosing a sort of like a la carte configuration of your values. Who am I? We are all have various interests and priorities in life, things that are pressing, things that are not so pressing. The key that I found is that it's not really about choosing who you are or what you believe, but it's about prioritizing. What are the most important things that need to be addressed now and most urgently? And what are the other things that have to take a back burner to that? And what are the things that have to take a back burner to that and so on? And it's a, it's a much more practical way of ordering your affairs. And, uh, you know, I do, maybe, I do think that maybe parents just inherently get this more than people who are out there still trying to, um, in the society, make a mark on the society with their um, activism or their social media expressions of individuality and all that. Um is the imposition of these like real material constraints on your life, like children, family, that forces you into um, a very practical mode of life. And that I think a lot, that means that there is a silent majority out there. Uh, I know scary terms, right? Okay. Yeah. We're not allowed to use certain terms. Otherwise we're fucking right wingers. Right. But there is a silent majority. I think of families um, who get this, who who see that um, a lot of this posturing is bullshit and a lot of it is meant to distract us from and deprior or, or making perverse priorities out of our own lives because that helps them, that, that, that protects the wealthy, that protects the powerful and we're not supposed to advocate for ourselves. And I think that if you look at, and the thing that I see is that there's a lot of shame heaped upon Asian Americans who try and advocate for Asian Americans as a racial group in America. Because at some level we have made being, they have made being an Asian person in America a priority because they see the discrimination, the violence, the increased risk to our well-being in being an Asian person here in this rather violent society. They are shamed into uh, not prioritizing that, deprioritizing that. And the primary transmission of that has been a certain faction of Asian American blue checks who have really been transmitting and heaping that shame on as, as fast and as hard as they can uh, onto those uh, Asian people who have made that at least higher up in their priority stack at some level. And so, you know, that's, I think, why ultimately we decided to go with, um, go with this film 
as the short film as uh you know one of our capstone projects for plan a i don't want to overpromise. i have no idea how this is going to turn out but i have a lot of faith in dan he had a great film called accepted which screened at um i haven't been able to watch it but i do i i, I think it's available on apple films or App, apple movie whatever it's called uh it's available on apple uh but it screened at tribeca it got really good reviews and I think, you know, he was a, he just seemed, and, and, and I've never met him, but I've talked to him a lot. And some, like, I think Chris has met him and we're familiar with him. And I, I've met Henry and I've talked with Henry, I've with Henry. I mean, these are people who are willing to assert their own personal priorities and base their activism and their artistic creations around that personal par- priority. And that's something that I find is, exactly what i don't see in the in in the blue checks is the willingness and a in a in a fearlessness to do just that so that's why we're 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 committing all the uh patreon funds that you the supporters have been so generous in giving to us like we said we felt that we were being entrusted with that to do something that we thought you would support as well and we're not going to, you know, I know we don't always sound like the most uh, woke, virtuous people and, you know, whatever. But you know what we're not doing? Uh, we're not fucking stealing your funds so that we can have, uh, you know, polycule orgies in the Bahamas. We're not traveling on that dime. We're not spending. We never took ourselves out to a meal. We never did shit. I think the only thing we ever did with that uh, in terms of was, it was to buy ourselves a Zoom recorder so we could do remote podcasts and otherwise uh all that money has just been accumulating over the years it's not that much but it's enough to fund a short film and i'm really excited about it and um we'll tell you more um as as dan and his team get to work on it anyway that's the pod for this week hope you enjoyed it ah perfect almost exactly one hour all right this is your episode of escape from plan a this is teen and we will Talk to you next week.